Thank you for joining me in today's broadcast of Dynamic Web Church. I'm so excited that you've joined with me. I'm going to share the message of God's unconditional love with you. And I trust that you will be encouraged and touched by God's unconditional love. What an honor to know that people from all over the world are willing to slot into this and that they open their hearts for me to share this message of grace. You know, the message of God's unconditional love brings joy and peace and righteousness and so much power into the life of a Christian is just far beyond what one, one can imagine. It's much more powerful than man's ability trying to seek justification through what you must do for God and by a law system, a system that says I must become and not a system that says I am. <clears throat> so I want to just welcome everybody, especially those first-time viewers, those of you that has, wrote, uh, that has been writing to us saying that you want to become web members, um, you know, we will be corresponding with you and I believe we have been corresponding with, with you already. So just feel welcome and uh, man, God is good. I thank God that you are willing to watch this saying, my God, I want to have this good news. I want to know more about the unconditional love of God. You know, the vision that we have at Dynamic Web Church is not to see how big we can grow our church. That's not the vision. The vision is to see that we get the message of God's grace available to people all over the world, that whosoever wants to be part of this, that they can be part of this. That's the vision. You know, and then we've got a, a greater explanation of our vision as well on the web. You can just go and read it there. <clears throat> but I want to start off by just reading this, um, this scripture. And then I just want to testify a little bit about a, a nice conference that I've been, been at. It says this. <clears throat> it says, Where is the God who can compare with you? Wiping the slate clean of guilt. Turning a blind eye, a deaf ear to the past sins of, our, um, of your purged and precious people. You don't nurse your anger and don't stay angry long, for mercy is your speciality. That's why you love most. That's what you love most, excuse me. That's what you love most. And compassion is on its way to us. You'll stamp out our wrongdoing. You'll sink our sins to the bottom of the ocean. You'll stay true to your word to Father Jacob and continue the compassion you showed Grandfather Abraham. Everything you promised our ancestors from a long time ago. Now this is just speaking prophetically about the coming of the Lord and what the coming of the Lord is all about. It speaks about who God is, the God of the Old Testament and the plan that the God of the Old Testament had with people. Amen. Let's just read it again. It says, Where is the God who can compare with you? Wiping the slate clean of guilt. Turning a blind eye, a deaf ear to the past sins of your purged and precious people. You don't nurse your anger and don't stay angry long, for mercy is your speciality. That's what you love most. And compassion is on its way to us. You'll stamp out our wrongdoing. You'll sink our sins. Now this speaks about Jesus that will come. What will He do? Compassion is on its way to us. Spoke about the coming of the Lord. And you'll stamp out our wrongdoing and you'll sink our sins to the bottom of the ocean. So what did Jesus come to do? He stamped out our wrongdoing and He sinked our sins to the bottom of the ocean. You'll stay true to your word to Father Jacob and continue the compassion you showed Grandfather Abraham. So, thank God, you know, the, what He showed Abraham, what He promised Abraham, that He may, makes true in our lives. Everything you promised our ancestors from a long time ago. Hallelujah. So, where is the God that can be compared to our God. 
Where is the God that can be compared to Jesus Christ? Where is the God that can be compared to the Father? And the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father. There is no one that can be compared with Him, no one. For He came and He stamped out our sins. It's not as if we have paid for our sins, He paid for our sins. He's the one that forgives us. And this is so much, so beautiful to me. It says here, um, it says, you will not, uh, you don't nurse your anger and you don't stay angry long. Why? For mercy is your speciality. This is in Micah 7 from verse 19. Micah 7 from verse 19 in the, in the message translation. Well, that's just awesome. That is really something that we can worship God about. That's something that we can say, God, you're an awesome God. Your speciality is mercy. Your speciality is your unconditional love. Your speciality is to treat people better than they deserve. And you know, that's the God that we serve. Today we're going to speak, um, after the worship, I'm going to get into the book of Romans again. We're going to continue to look into Romans chapter 7, go over to Romans chapter 8, and just see about what this unconditional love of God is. What this love is that, that cannot, we, we cannot be separated from. What is this love? It is not just an emotion or a feeling that is in the heart of God. It's something greater than that. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the goodness of God. Now, I've been to a Safe Harbor conference with um, Pastor Alan Spiegel. And man, they, they, it was such an awesome, awesome conference in Johannesburg. We had about, in the day, we had about, say, 150, 200 people in the meeting. In the evenings, 300 plus. So it was just awesome, awesome to see what God was doing there in the hearts of leaders. It was a leadership conference. So we had leaders from all over, a lot of leaders from Zimbabwe, we had leaders from Malawi, from Mozambique, um, and then South Africa, and one or two other countries as well. So it was just so, so awesome to see the message of grace coming from, I think there was five or six speakers, everybody, everybody speaking in, in unity, and just saying exactly the same thing. Isn't that awesome? And to be amongst leaders, and to honestly say, that there was no competition, there was nobody chasing the man of God, hoping that there's a dripping of the anointing and some oil that's going to fall from him and then maybe I'll also have some value before God if the man of God just supernaturally lays his hand on me and touches me and gives me a prophetic word or something like that. There was not that. There was this thing of Jesus is everything. God is awesome. And Jesus done it all for us and we all have received of His fullness. We've received the faith of God, the measure of faith which is Jesus and what He has done and His faith on our behalf. That's what, what it was. It was just so, so awesome. So I'm really looking forward to the conference next year and uh, I believe that in our area where we are here we're going to make an impact, we're going to start to speak into the lives of leaders and we're going to have just a bigger conference. Uh, next year because and bigger to me is better in the sense that we're going to have more leaders involved in them they can see that it comes from more than one person and that is the vision that i have in my heart that is the vision that i want to see i want to see people be part of this because i mean this conference is awesome it's it's a safe harbor conference and that was exactly what happened you know when you got there one of the pastors testified and he said um Normally when he goes to a conference, he's, he's, he guards himself. You know, he's got a shield and a sword and whatever. Guarding himself, making sure he doesn't get hurt. But he says after the, uh, um, in the middle of the second day, the third day, he realized, man, he can lay all that down. This is a safe place where people will not judge you for your sins. 
where people will not judge you for your wrongdoings and your insecurities and all those type of things, where you can just open your heart and know that you are loved. Amen. Now, well, I tell you that that was really encouraging to me. Um, we will have that conference uploaded uh, on the website uh, as soon as possible. Vessel Nianet, they, um, they're going away in this week, this coming week, and they'll only be back next week. So, uh, the office is going to be quite empty. And uh, that's why that, that stuff will not happen in this week coming, in this coming week. But after that, we will have a look at that. So, um, thank God for this awesome conference. And thank God for Vessel Nianet and Elise and Peter that's here. And we're also getting Tabu, um, a, a guy that's finished the five-minute Bible school and he's coming down to Malmesbury, moving to Malmesbury, and we, we're going to make use of him. We're going to plant a church in, our, uh, in the black community here and just preach this gospel of grace. Amen. With him and with Peter. Peter is also a guy that started to work for me just to help to wash the cars and practical things in ministry. And he started to get into the five-minute Bible school and into our messages and got radically saved says there's only one thing in his life, is he wants to minister this gospel. Amen. And he just, I, I never even preached to him, he just listened to the messages. That's all. God radically saved, set free from drinking and smoking and all those type of things. And there's just one thing in his heart, is I want to be a pastor, I want to shepherd people. Amen. Isn't that awesome? That is God's working through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now we're going to go over to worship, we're going to sing four songs. And, man, just enjoy this worship. Think of the scripture that I've read. And, man, let's just quickly go there again. I hope I... It's, you know, Micah is difficult to find. But, um, you know, if you, if you just read that. And as we go into the worship, you know... Uh, one, two, five, I think. Here it is. It says... <clears throat> this is so beautiful. I just want to read this part. It says, You don't nurse your anger and you don't stay angry long. For mercy is your speciality. That's what you love most. And compassion is on its way. You'll stamp out our wrongdoing and you'll sink our sins to the bottom of the ocean. You'll stay true to your word to Father Jacob and continue the compassion you've showed Grandfather Abraham. Everything you promised our ancestors from a long time ago. Amen. That is a good God. Let's just worship God out of the depths of our heart and then we're going to get right into the word of God after the worship. Hallelujah. God is such a good God. We can only worship Him for who He is. You know how wonderful it is not to worship God to get God to do something for you, but to worship and sing to God because of who He is. Just because of just what He's done, His being. It's easy to worship God when you understand who He is and what He's done for you. And out of what He's done, we see who He is. Hallelujah. That's why it's so important to see the finished work upon the cross. Amen. Hallelujah. I just want to, I forgot about an announcement. I just want to announce this, um, that we will not have a Skype cell group meeting after the service today, but it moves to Wednesdays. Every Wednesday at uh, 13 hours South African time, that is GMT plus 2, uh, we will have between 1 and 2, 13 and 14 hours, we will have our meeting. So if you want to slot into that, um, you can do so. Uh, if it's convenient for you, if there's some other time that is more convenient for you, please just send it to us so that we can see what we can do for you. But it will move to that time then. Okay, right. Um, I want to just read a scripture from Second Corinthians and I just thought it good to speak on this a little bit on finances. Um, 
just to get your heart established again in what Jesus has done for you when it comes to finances and to get this whole thing um, of you must give for God to give to you or you must work some principle in order for God to bless you out of your mind so that you can get to the place where you believe that God provides for you on the basis of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians <coughs> chapter 8 and we're going to read from verse 1 and then we're going to go quickly over to verse 9 and then we're going to go to chapter 9 and we will read um, from verse 4. Okay, right. Second Corinthians chapter 8. It says, Moreover, uh, moreover brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, they abounded unto the riches of their liberty. For to their power I bear record, yes, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now, what he's actually saying here, it's very difficult, this, um, the, the King James language in explaining this, but what he was actually saying is that there was a grace upon the churches in Macedonia, which were actually poor people. And they were giving out of that grace. The grace is God's ability that comes upon you to be like God. <clears throat> so, grace came over them as they heard the word of God and as they um, were fellowshipping in the word of God. They believed in the grace of God and they believed in who they are in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, I don't believe they went and said, well, we confess now that we are this in Jesus, so we're going to do this now. As they heard the word of God, grace came into their lives and then they found a compassion for those that was even just more poor than what they were. And then they came and they gave themselves to Paul um, and the other people that was with him. And they also gave generously out of their poverty to those that were really struggling in other places. And now what Paul does is he uses this as an example to the church in Corinth, which was a city where there was a lot of trading and all of that, which was a rich city where there were people that had a lot of finances and people that prospered because of a revelation of the grace of God concerning finances and said to them, and he used this as something that would prompt them to start to give and he said to them, listen, you guys made a promise that you will give to the poor churches and when I looked at the churches in Macedonia, they didn't even make a promise. They just, by the grace of God, gave out of their poverty. I thought, man, you guys made a promise and let me keep you to, your, uh, keep you to your promise and um, tell you that we're going to come and receive this gift from you that you promised a year before. So, they didn't make a promise and the next day he was there at the door. I want that money now. No, no. They made a promise and then he, I think he was actually going to leave it. And then when he saw what happened in Macedonia and how these poor people had the ability to give, then he thought, let me use this and encourage the church in Corinth to keep to their promise. Now, listen to this in verse, um, verse 4. Now, let's read, read a bit back. From verse 1. For as touching the ministering to the saints, now this is the poor people, now he writes to the people in Corinth, he says, 
For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous or good for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind. For when I boast of you, <clears throat> listen to this, for I, know, for, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them in Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has provoked very many. So what he's saying here, he says, listen, I was actually in Macedonia, and I was bragging in Macedonia about this promise you made to give liberally to the, I think the people in Achaia, or some place where there were poor people. And your zeal has provoked very many. So they were zealous to do this, they wanted to do this, and then others also wanted to do that. The grace of God came upon the church in Macedonia, where Paul was actually bragging about what the, the people in Corinth was to do, and this provoked them as well, and said, listen man, let's give. And grace came upon them, and they gave. Yet I have sent the brethren, now what he's doing is, he is sending people to Corinth. He says, yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, you may be ready. So what he's saying is, Listen, we have sent people to you guys in Corinth, and we are sending them, for this purpose. So that you can be ready when we come to receive the gift that you've promised that has actually made other people also give towards the church that, that was poor. Okay, um, then he said here, Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me. Now listen, Paul went to Macedonia. It's like me going to the squatter camp. And telling those, the church in the squatter camp, listen, you know, there's another church, or, or let me put it this way. I go to the squatter camp. I tell them, do you know that the church in, in, in Zimbabwe is really struggling? You know, they've got nothing. But the church in uh, Johannesburg, which is very rich, has promised to give a lot to the Zimbabweans. And then the grace of God comes upon the, the, the people in the squatter camp, and then they say, man, hallelujah, we also want to give. And then they start to give out of their poverty to those in Zimbabwe. And now the people of the squatter camp says, man, listen, when you go to Corinth, or I mean, when you go to Johannesburg, we're going to go with you to collect this and just help you to carry this stuff to Zimbabwe. Now Paul is worried because... These people in, 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 in Corinth made the promise long ago and they haven't done anything. Now he's thinking of these people that are so really into giving, that are that's so poor because they gave, I mean, they are poor because of the situation, but they gave out of the grace of God and out of their poverty they still gave and now they're going to come to rich people. And now Paul was scared that, uh, um, that they're going to just stand there looking at each other red-faced you know, looking at the people in Corinth, the red face, looking at the people in Macedonia, which were giving out of their poverty now, present in Corinth, seeing that these rich people don't want, even want to do anything. And he was just trying to uh, see the, the, that the, the church will not suffer shame. Now, let's read verse 4. Less happily, if they in Macedonia came with me and find you unprepared, what? That we say not you should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. So, he says, I don't want to be ashamed. I've boasted confidently in you, so that's why we send people, so, so that they can know we're going to come, let's say in a month or two from now, and that they can collect from you enough, so that it's not a matter of, 
uh, uh, poverty giving like you're ashamed of what you what you give. That's why we give you enough time and we come beforehand to collect all this stuff. So that we will not put pressure on you all of a sudden. You know, if I tell you, listen, I want you to give towards a certain thing. And there's a vision in the ministry and I'm asking you guys, I say, listen, support this thing. But this is going to happen in six months from now. Then you've got enough time to save up money, get money and do what you need to do in order to give bountifully towards that vision. But if I come to you and say, well, I'm doing it tomorrow, I want you to give now. You know, you might not be ready to give what you really want to give in your heart. Okay, right. So now he says here, he says, I've sent these guys so that you will not be unprepared, that we will not be ashamed and all those things. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Whereof you had uh, noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. So what he's saying here is, actually, I want you guys to give a lot. As you promised. And that when I come to you, that you will not all of a sudden be overwhelmed. Oh, here the guys are and I must give now. Now, I only have this much now. I don't have, say, I've got 5,000 rand. I want to, I said I'm going to give 5,000. So now, um, I've been, if if I tell you save up over four months, maybe you can save up to give 5,000. But now I come and I tell you, well, I receive it right now. I want that 5,000 that you promised now. Now it's going to, you're going to be covetous because you don't have that money. So now you're going to give 300. And it will be a matter of covetousness. You will, you, you, you will, uh, um, in Afrikaans, you're going to feel, man, I can't give all this now because of the situation. And it's going to produce a lot of stress in the church because you are forced. That's why Paul, just look at the care and the love and the compassion and the wisdom in which Paul handled the situation. He didn't come, well, you've you got to give, don't worry, you know, just give, just give. God's going to provide for you, I don't care if you've got now, just give as much as what you can, God's going to provide for you. And after I've taken the money, then I leave and then it's you and God's problem. <laughs> That's not, that was not God's attitude, but it's a lot of the time the attitude of a lot of prosperity preachers these days. You know, we don't, even if you're poor, give your loss to me and then God's going to sort you out and then the guy gets on the plane and goes away. And then those people struggle because they still have not learned how to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ by the grace of God um, to prosper. Amen. Now listen to what Paul says here. So he says, listen, I want this to be a matter of bounty. But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap sparingly and he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Now what does that scripture uh, um, really mean? Because now it, it looks as if he is saying, listen, give a lot of money, then you're going to get a lot. Now, that's not what he's saying. The context of this is the church in Macedonia that's going to come with the promise that they've made and what these other people are going to think about um, uh, 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 the church in Corinth. That is what Paul was talking about because the provision part has already been dealt with in Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 where he says, For you know the grace of God that our Lord Jesus Christ, although he was rich yet for your sakes became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. The church in Corinth was already rich. Go and read chapter 8. So it was not as if they were still in a place where they had to get money. They were not prospering in another area where the church, the church in, in, in Macedonia, they were not prospering in finances, but they were prospering in giving. 
And the church in Corinth were prospering in finances, but they were not prospering in giving. They had to still prosper in giving. So he said, man, if you give a little bit, you're not going to prosper a lot when it comes to your giving and to what people say about you. Now, let's go to um, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 24. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 24. And we're just going to look at the, the place from where Paul actually quoted this. And just to give you an example, you know, that's the cross-reference. It says here, The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is he that scatters and yet increases. In other words, there's, there's the person that gives and yet he increases. And there, are, there is that withhold more than what is right, but it, intends, but it tends to poverty. Now, you must realize what he, what he is saying here. Um, the context is like, is with farmers. A farmer, he, he would, uh, what he would do is he would farm, then he would get his crop, and what they do these days in South Africa a lot, they, then you decide when you're going to sell this crop. What time? When, when the price is the best. So what they will do is they will have big silos on their farms and they will keep the seed back. They will, or they will keep the, 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 the crop back until there's a need in the country and then the price goes up and then they start to sell it. And that's how they just make more profit. Now, um, yes, it's good to withhold some of it, but don't withhold more than what is meat, because now you're putting the poor, which are actually in need of this food, under pressure. That is the context of this, right? And, and you will see the context now as we continue. The liberal soul shall be made fat, but he that waits, uh, but he that watereth, shall be watereth also himself. But he that withholds scorn, listen to this, the people shall curse him. But blessing shall be upon the head of him that sells it. He that delight, he that diligently seeks good, procures favor. But he that seeks mischief, it shall come unto him. So what happens, if you diligently seek that which is good for other people, you will get favor from the people. But he that seeks mischief, it shall come unto him. He that trusts in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a, a branch. So that is what the context of that scripture is. He that sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. So if you give, if you made a promise, church in Corinth, and you give to the people that you've promised, and these other people see this as well, you will reap a lot of honor and respect from these people. Listen to uh, um, uh, verse, v- verse 6 there. But I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man, according as he purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So don't give out of necessity. In other words, because you must give or because you must work a principle to give. Now, I need money for my children's school. That's necessity. I've got a need. So now I'm going to give so that God can meet that need. That's giving out of necessity. That's not what we do. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace. Remember this. Give bountifully. You will reap bountifully what people say. And don't worry about your finances. Why? Because God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Always having sufficiency in all things that you may abound to every good work. Now what he's saying here is that 
they've already had the grace over them to, to prosper financially. But they did not have the grace to, um, to abound in good works. So he said to them, don't worry. God is giving you the ability to give and He gave you the ability to generate this money. So don't worry, God will always provide for you. He's not all of a sudden, now that you give something, now you're going to be poor. No, God stays the same. Amen. As it's written, He that has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness remains forever. Now, what He's saying there, it's so wonderful. He, as it's written, He that has dispersed abroad, has given to the poor, His righteousness remains forever. In other words, if you take what you have and you give it to the poor, your righteousness, your righteousness is known well amongst the people and will live forever. The righteousness of Nelson Mandela will live forever. For he has, he has not gone into war. He's been good to people. He has forgiven. That righteousness remains forever. If you go and look what, what uh, Mother Teresa did and what people do to the poor and how they give to the poor, their righteous acts and their righteousness remains forever. And God continues to provide for them, not on the basis because they've given. The, like the context in Corinthians, is not if you give, God's going to provide for you. He's talking to a church that has already received prosperity. And one day a guy was very upset with me because he was arguing with me about this. I said to him, you know, the church in, Corinth, or the church in Macedonia, was the, they were the givers, but they were the poor. But the church in Corinth, they were not givers, but they were the rich. So he was upset. But that is because he tried to say that if you give, you're going to be rich. But the givers were the poor people here in, 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 in Macedonia. Because they lived in a poor area. That's why. But thank God that they were content. If they weren't content, they would never have been able to give. In other words, they lived, their mind and their consciousness was, I've got so much, they were actually poor in the eyes of the rich. But in their own eyes, they believed that they had so much they could give. So they weren't living in poverty in their own mind. They enjoyed life. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's not look at what we don't have. Let's look at what we do have. And when we give, we give out of... My God is my source. He always provides for me. And if I give now, I'm not now all of a sudden tomorrow not going to have anything. God stays the same. And your giving is not going to make you poor. The fact that if, if you give today, if you've got a thousand rand in your wallet and you give a hundred rand away, you're going to have nine hundred rand in your wallet. You can know that. But know this, that God always meets your needs according to His riches in glory. The fact that you've given a hundred rand now is not going to make that you cannot pay your bills. God always cares for us. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's what Paul is actually trying to say to the people here. He says, Every man has his purpose in his heart, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So what he's saying here is, listen, God blesses you first, so that you can abound to every good work. So God blesses you. He prospers you. And when He has prospered you, you can also abound in the grace of giving. Hallelujah. As is written, He has dispersed abroad and He has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. Now, what, what is He t- talking about? Talk, talks about the good works. The good works and what they receive out of that. The righteousness remains forever. Where? In the minds of the poor people towards those that gave. Now, He that ministers seed to the sower, both ministers bread for your food, and multiply your seed so. Now, listen. He says, he that ministers seed for the sower, God gives seed to one person, 
talking about physical seed now. This is not talking about money now. Talking about physical seed. And that becomes bread for somebody else. He multiplies your seed sown. He makes what you give more. So what he's saying is, listen, I'm encouraging you to give a lot. Why? And in such a way, increase the fruit of your righteousness. In other words, what he's saying is, what is the fruit of righteousness? It is good works. So what he's saying is, listen, if you give sparingly, what you're going to reap is, you're going to reap sparingly the fruit of your righteousness, which is good works. You will only have little good works if you just give a little. If you make a big promise and give a little, not according to your promise, do you know what? You've only got little good works in the eyes of the people. But what he said is, I want to encourage you to give a lot, because in the eyes of these people, you will have then a lot of good works, and the fruit of your righteousness will be increased. They are already righteous in, in, concerning finance. They are already prosperous, but I want the fruit of that to increase, so that you can give a lot. Being enriched in everything, to all bountifulness, which causes the, us thanksgiving towards God. So what he's saying is, being rich in everything, in other words, you are rich in finances, I want you to be rich in good works, you are already rich in money, if you give a lot, you will have a lot of good works. Because they are rich people. And they were not giving at all, they just promised and did nothing. For more than a year, they never gave a tithe and nothing, they gave nothing. They didn't bless anybody, didn't even keep to their promise. Then Paul wrote to them, because they sold the church in Macedonia being encouraged by the promise that the people made in Corinth. And said, man, the people in Corinth promised they don't even give a cent. And that promise they made encouraged the poor to give. I don't think it's right that I don't write to these people in Corinth. And then he wrote to them and encouraged them and said, listen, you don't have fruit when it comes to giving. I want you to start to give. If you just give a little bit, you're going to have a little bit of fruit. If you give a lot, you've got a lot of fruit. The context is not the, the, the receiving of finances. The context is bearing fruit in the eyes of others. And in the kingdom of God. He says, being enriched. Listen to the other fruit that comes forth. Being enriched in everything. You are made rich. You are already rich in finances. Now you are rich in your giving as well. To all bountifulness. Which causes through us thanksgiving to God. So another thing that's read is that you reap is people starting to thank God. And worship God. Hallelujah. So people... Um, there are people from different churches watching this. If you give to your church, whenever you give, especially if you're a person that is rich, man, abound in good works. The God of righteousness, the God of grace, will always care for you. You don't have to think and trust in your riches saying, if I save this up now for today, then, then I know my future is secure. Don't trust in your riches. Trust in the person of God. Hallelujah. Amen. And if the stock market falls and if you lose your house and if the country goes bankrupt and whatever, do you know what? There's a wonderful thing that God still gives us. And if you lose all your money, it's the, I call it the gift of being content. A content person does not see poverty. Hallelujah. Now at the conference, there's one guy said this thing that blessed me so much. If you in your house, just there where you are, look around and look at everything that is brown. I give you five seconds. Just look at, count all the things that's brown. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Right, close your eyes and think of what is brown. Now tell me all the green things you saw. <laughs> you see, you will not be able to even think of any green thing in your house because you have been focusing on 
what is brown. So, what you focus on is what you see. So, if we focus on the finished work of Jesus Christ and His love for us through what is done on the cross, our situation, we cannot see that. We set free from that. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? So, I just want to encourage you. God is a good God. God is a God of grace and mercy and love. And I want to encourage you that when you give, whenever you give, you give out of that perspective. And don't let people manipulate you. Don't let this whole finances thing manipulate you and kill you and destroy you when it comes to your relationship with God. Well, God's not going to give to you if you don't give. That is rubbish teaching. That is dung, according to Paul. That is not the gospel of Jesus. That's manipulation. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you might say, Bertie, that is very radical. Man, this is my church. Yeah, I can preach. Amen. And say what I believe in my heart. I, I, I mean, there's so many places where you preach where you have to keep back, um, you know, in how you want to say something, you know. But uh, I will never compromise in what I say, but I will compromise in how I say it. But thank God, in this church, I can say it how I want to say it. Amen. Let's go to Romans. Hallelujah. Now, this is, you know, we've been touching Romans chapter 6, uh, Romans chapter 7, the beginning of Romans chapter 7. I'm going to go over that quickly. And, um, and then we, Vessel, can you just tell me how much time is on the, is, is left? Oh yeah, 30 minutes. Okay. Right. Um, I, I'm going to just run over this quickly and we will still get into chapter 8 and chapter 9. There's some awesome stuff in here that's just going to give you so much peace in your hearts. Now, the end of Romans chapter 6, let's go to verse 6, and it says, Know you not to whom you yield yourself, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness or the slaves of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of your infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness um, and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now, yield your members, servants of righteousness, unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, you became servants of God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want to just explain that quickly. What he's actually saying in the end of chapter 5, he said that Jesus obeyed the law on your behalf. And in such a way, and he also came and he took away the law for righteousness. Like the Bible says in Romans 10, I think it's verse 4, it says, Jesus Christ is the end of the law unto righteousness. There's nothing you can do to be righteous before God. And I want to just add this. There's nothing you can do in your own power to be holy in this life with a holiness that is actually uh, um, demanded by God. It it cannot, it's impossible for you because the law's fruit the fruit of being under the law. Now, listen to this. The law is holy. 
But being under the law, sin uses that as an occasion to flourish and to live. And that brings death in your life. It brings death in your relationships. It brings death in your finances. It brings death in how you relate to people. It brings death in the area of peace in your life. Your your, uh, 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 the peace in your life is just taken away. The peace for your future provision and peace about your family and, and all of that is just taken away. The peace about if I die, would I go to heaven, will be taken away under the law. You will not know if you really qualify. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit and the praying in tongues and all those type of things, you will not have peace. You will know if you qualify. But, um, under, under the law, you will not know. But in Jesus Christ, you qualify. And what he was saying here is that you were servants of sin. When were they servants of sin? They were servants of sin when they were under the law. Now that word servant is the Greek word slave. Now a slave is not somebody that willingly works for the master. He is somebody that is under the rulership of the master and if he, if he obeys, he is not even uh, um, praised because he's just done what he's supposed to do. Uh, a servant he was never praised. A slave was not praised. He just had to do the work. He was only beaten if he did something wrong. That, that was, and he was enslaved. So, w- a slave was not someone that could just leave the work whenever he wanted. It was not like that. You work until the boss is tired. That was the way it worked. Now, he um, says here that they became slaves. And man is a slave of sin in the context of chapter 5, when he's under the law, then you are enslaved to sin. Sin will tell you what you do. Sin will guide your life. Sin will bring condemnation over you. And the very good thing that you want to do, you will not do it. And the good thing that you don't, or the bad thing that you, that you don't want to do, you'll be busy with that. You will say, I want to live righteous, but you'll never get that righteous. You will, in your heart, serve the law. Serve what's right and stand for what's right in your heart. But in your, the manifestation of your life, you'll always find shortcomings, sin and condemnation. Okay, now that is, to, and, and the thing is, under the law, you're enslaved to sin. You cannot help but to sin. And that sin has got a power inside you that you cannot imagine. Now, let me just read that. Um, I know I've touched on this, and I've preached on this uh, last, um, last Sunday, but man, this is so powerful. Every time I hear this, it just encourages me and blesses me. And I want you to m- keep on meditating upon this, keep on pondering upon this. In, 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 in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, just to talk about the enslavement of sin, the enslavement of sin. Verse 55, it says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So, um, the, if you under a master, the reason why you're enslaved to that master is simply because the master is stronger than you. If the slave was stronger than the master, he will overrule the master and be free. But we are enslaved unto sin under the law. For you are weak under the law. And sin is stronger than you and it will kill you. And you cannot get free from it. And what gives the sin power is the law. First Corinthians 15.55 The power of sin 
is the law. So, the, the, the law is a good thing, um, but it's not good for a man to be under the law. The law is wonderful, but it's not good for man to be under the law. It's like, um, like I said so many times, insect repellent. It's a good thing, but it's not good for you to inhale it. But it's, it, it's a good thing for, for man, because you, kill, uh, you can kill mosquitoes with it in Zambia that can give you malaria. So, that poison can be life to you. But it's not good if you take it in yourself. It was not made for you. In the same way, the law was not made so that you, through the law, can be righteous. That's, that's not what it was made for. The law was made for another purpose. The written law was given so that you can be seen as a sinner, that all can be seen as sin. That was the purpose. The purpose of the law was to see you as a sinner and that somebody could obey the law so that you can be righteous by the law. And it was towards Jesus. The law and the prophets was towards Jesus. It testifies of Jesus. When you read, Thou shalt honor your father and your mother, and you shall do this, and you shall do this, you shall not covet, you shall not lust. It was unto Jesus. The law and the prophets speaks unto Jesus. So, it was actually a command unto Jesus what he had to do in order to get righteousness towards man. He had to obey the law. Hallelujah. He had to do everything right and live by faith and had everything that he had. He had to do everything perfect as God would do it in human flesh. And that was what he was. He is God in human flesh and he did obey it on all of our behalf. Obeyed the law. Remember this. The law is not for you. The law is not for the righteous person. If you have received Jesus as your Savior, the Lord is not for you. The Bible says the laws for the unrighteous to show them they're not righteous. Okay? And the law, if those who, those who really seek justification by the law is actually proclaiming and professing their unrighteousness. That's what they do. Okay? And the thing is, under the law, sin works in your heart and you are enslaved unto that sin. You cannot be set free. If you're under a law that says, let's say, say you are stingy. And you don't want to give. But you're under the law of tithing and sowing and reaping. You'll never be set free. You might be giving. <laughs> you might be giving a tithe plus an offering. But you'll never be set free from that thing in your heart that you feel stingy. And so many people, they feel stingy. They feel they don't want to give. But in their heart, in their mind, they just say, I shall give and I shall overrule this thing. And then they give and then they feel good for a while. But that thing in your heart, that little bit of fear that jumps up every now and then, you cannot be set free from that. It's impossible. You're enslaved to that until <laughs> Jesus comes or you die. That's how long you will be bound to that thing. Now it says here, But thanks be to God that you were the servants or slaves of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Which What form of doctrine? which we've just read last Sunday, and I'm not going to go through that again, what he has done for us. He obeyed on our behalf. Being then made free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. Now, that's a nice thing to be. A slave of righteousness. <laughs> Hallelujah. That means, as bound as what you were to do things wrong, that's how bound you are now to live holy. You could not stop yourself under the law and when you were not saved to walk in sin. 
You could not stop yourself. When you see again, you are desiring your neighbor's stuff. When you see again, you are gossiping. When you see again, you hate. When you see again, you walk in bitterness. When you see again, you sin and swear and and, and do whatever a, a sinner does. You could not stop it. It's like teaching a dog to stop to bark. He cannot do that. That's what he has been made to do. That is inside him. He's enslaved to barking and that's what he's going to do. You can give him 20 lessons and not how to do it. He's still going to do it. That's how it is. And I've seen some people, they, they remove, in South Africa they do it, they remove the, the vocal cords of the, of the dog, but he still barks. No noise coming out, but he's barking. He, because he's a dog. And it's exactly the same thing. You know, when you were in sin, by nature you did it. But when we are getting into the message of grace, and really taking it seriously, and I'm talking about grabbing a hold of with a purpose to make use of it. When you do that, you find you get enslaved to righteousness. When you see again, you give. When you see again, you love. When you see again, you're faithful all the time. You don't think, well, I must be going faithful to church. You just find yourself all the time. Whenever there's good news, you are there. When we broadcast, you slot in. When you, uh, you're faithful in studying the Scriptures. Because, man, you can't get away from it. Because your heart desires that. Um, as the law, now I want to just say this. As one is under the law, and your flesh uses the law as a license to sin, or as a foothold for sin, we're going to read that in Romans 7, in the same way, I want to say, your spirit uses grace as a license, or as a foothold, or as an opportunity to manifest the holiness that's in your life. Man, that is good news. That is the true gospel that Jesus Christ came to bring to us. And you might say, Bertie, you're so, you're so full of pride, look at what you say. You say you're preaching the true gospel. Now must I say I preach the lie? <laughs> no ways. This is the true gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. And I'll tell you how I know that. Number one, it is in line with what Jesus Christ has done for us in, in that five points of scripture interpretation. And number two is this works great joy in our hearts. It produces peace and the nature of God. It produces a thing that says, man, this is God. It's just a thing in your spirit that says, yeah. It's like my one friend said, he gave um, a CD to somebody about one of the things that I preach. And then he gave it, this guy gave this CD to another guy that's really, um, man, he's, he's a sinner, he's a, he's a rough guy. And he said, and he listened to it and he said, man, if church is like this, he will also go to church. Hallelujah. You see, inside everyone, God has birthed that thing that just connects and links up when He hears grace. And that is it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen to what He says here. Um, In verse 20, it says there, For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. When you were under the law, you were delivered from righteousness. (laughs) <laughs> man, that's powerful. In the same way, when you are free from, when you are under grace, you are delivered from sin. When you are under the law, you are delivered from righteousness. Now, I don't want to be delivered from righteousness. I want to be delivered from sin and I want to continue to walk in my freedom and not to be brought under the yoke of slavery again, according to Galatians 5 verse 1. 
For when you were servants of sin, when you were slaves of sin, you were free from righteousness. And then you had fruit unto death. Verse 22, But now being made free from sin by becoming a... uh, um, and became a servant unto God, you have your fruit unto holiness, and the end, everlasting life. So what is it? I've got fruit unto holiness now. I've got fruit now in my life. When I experience the message of grace, there's fruit there. I see the fruit of it. I see righteousness, peace, joy, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance, all those things. And I also see other fruit. I see financial prosperity. I see healing in my body and all of that. And then the end of all that, which I will receive, the last fruit I will receive and see in my life is everlasting life. Amen. Isn't that awesome? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. That is the good news. So, look how we have been set free by the grace of God through what God has done in Jesus Christ. We've been set free. Who can be against us? Who can be against us? The only thing, the only weapon that Satan ever had was the law. And he... Gabe, he, he wants you to be under the law because under the law, sin is revived in your life. And when sin is revived, you start to experience death in every area of your life. And you can be so severely under the law that like Paul said, you can go and circumcise yourself and then I think that, I, that Christ was given to you in vain. We could have just left it. It was just as good. You, listen, don't think that you cannot lose your salvation. You can if you don't believe in what Jesus Christ done, you separate yourself from the only power that saves you. It's like me going with a lifesaver boat, driving out into the ocean, riding out, saving you, and you jumping off the boat. Man, stay in that boat of grace. Stay in that unconditional love of God. Don't come to a place where you, where you uh, um, say, well, I've tasted grace now, I've tasted all of that, and now I, I don't want Jesus anymore. I don't want the salvation by what Jesus done for me. I, I will work up my own salvation. I'm not saying that you're going to go to hell, but all I'm saying is that uh, your salvation can become questionable. So, um, and, and, and let's, just, let's just read this. You might say badly, but that's not true. Let's just read this. And there's ample of Scripture. And I, and I don't want to produce fear in your heart. But man, let's just stick in the grace of God. And I don't want you as, as, as visitors and web members to go around telling everybody, well, if you don't believe what Baptist says, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> then you're missing it. <laughs> you're really missing it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm just saying, and I'm talking to the church right now, I'm saying to you, don't lose this thing of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Don't deviate from that, because that is how you got saved. Amen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into the rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into, um, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, 
So what he's saying here is, listen man, there's a place where you can enter into the rest of God. The only way you can enter into that rest is by faith. And these guys were really mixing the law with grace. And then he says, fear. He says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into the rest of any of you should seem to come short of it. Fear. So, when it comes to the law and grace, I'm a bit scared of the law. When it comes to law, I get scared. I'm honest. Because I can miss the grace of God. Now, grace is not, well, I'm just gracious to everybody and I'm merciful. If they don't believe, they saved. That's foolishness. Grace is, God made it available for everybody as a free gift. So, whosoever can believe the simple truth can experience that truth. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, let's go to verse 7. Now, Paul continues. He says, Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them uh, that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as what he lives. As long as what the man under the law lives, the law has got dominion over him, and he's enslaved to that law, and you'll find sin using that as, as a leverage on your life. For the woman which has a husband is bound to the law for, uh, to her husband, so long as what he lives, but the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law to her husband. In other words, if the law, if, if you are married to the law, uh, you are bound to the law, and you are supposed to be faithful to the law, but if the law, say the man that you married to his name is law, if law dies, I mean then you're free. You can be married to another. So then, the law did die. So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. In other words, if the people, that's why Jesus, when he was on the earth, and the law has not been fulfilled completely, he said to them, obey the customs of Moses. He did say that. He said, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded. Do everything the Pharisees tell you. That's what Jesus taught. Go and read in Matthew 23. He said that. He said, they said in Moses' seed, do whatever they tell you. Because man was still married to the law. Jesus had to die. And after he died, the law man died. Okay? Now we can be married to the resurrected Christ. Hallelujah. And live according to those rules, which is by faith you have the being of God and the fullness of God. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress. Though she be married to another man. If the law people just said, well, I don't have to be justified by the law anymore. When Jesus walked on the earth and he said, they said, well, I don't have to obey the customs of Moses. They were in adultery. Adulterating between freedom and the law but because they were still married to the law. But then when Jesus died, the lawman died. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. That you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, let let me tell you something. I've seen people, they get, they they realize that they did, the the lawman died, but now they like to live single. You know, now they live, I'm not under the law, but I'm not married to Christ. They just live single. Don't live single. Be married. Jesus, with Jesus Christ, be one with Him. Hallelujah. Why? Because being one with Him, coming under His rule, in other words, being enslaved to Him means that He, that He will take the law which produced sin in your life, or the, the law did not produce sin. 
the, the law which sin used to produce sin in your life and death in your life, he takes that away, so sin becomes dormant, it's not alive in you, and he places you under grace, which is the Holy Spirit, which is his being indwelling you, and under that your spirit gets leverage and power, and it starts to produce fruit unto God. Okay, so be married, say, Lord, I'm not going to flirt with the law. You can be in adultery. You can be married to Jesus and be in adultery. Do you know that? I'm not talking about adultery between a man and a woman. I'm talking about adultery with the law. Now, I'm married to Jesus, but I'm flirting with the law. Be, <laughs> you know what? That's going to produce death in your life. Be married to Christ and be faithful. Be faithful too. I, I'm not justified by what I do. Be faithful as He is, so am I in this world. When you do something wrong or where condemnation comes, stay faithful to Christ. Don't go and flirt with the law now. Stay faithful to Jesus. Amen. And it's easy to stay faithful to Jesus because His love draws us and has got power in our lives. Hallelujah. Right, ten minutes left. But now... We are delivered from the law, that being dead when we were held, that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, don't scare, be scared now that we're taking the law away, that Jesus takes the law away. You will still have fruit unto God, because people sought to have fruit unto God through the law. He says, listen, when I take that law away, you're going to have fruit unto God by God indwelling you. Amen. You're still going to serve God, but not under the law, under the being of God indwelling you, which is a free life. Amen. What you'll be saying then, is the law sin? God forbid, the law is not sin. No, I have not known sin, but by the law. For I have not known lust, except the law said, you shall not covet. But sin taking occasion, this is what I was saying all the time, this is what Paul said in Romans 5 and 6, and now explained in chapter 7 how it works. He says, but sin... Taking occasion by the commandment. So where does sin take its occasion? By what? By the commandment. Verse 7 again. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I have not known sin, but by the law. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, like I said last time, which, which is all manner of Lust, sexual immorality. For without the law, sin was dead. Man, isn't that powerful? Remember the scripture we quoted? The law is the power of sin. Now it says, if we can take the law away, sin dies. Because we've received the being of God indwelling us now. So sin doesn't have occasion anymore. There's no occasion for sin to manifest. You're not giving it opportunity. Let me tell you this way. The more you stick to grace, the less opportunity sin have in your life. If you go towards a law message, behavior modification message, you are looking to sin. You are going to give, man, jy speel op sonde se voorstoep. Dis wat jy doen. So, I can't say that in English. <laughs> Amen. But, you are looking for it. it. You're looking for that sin to manifest in your life. And it will. It will. So, we don't want that. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, 
sin revived and I died. So this is talking about the, uh, what happens in the life of a believer. Getting under the law again. Sin will revive and you will die. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. You see, there's so many commandments that looks like life. It looks good. It looks as it will prosper you. It looks as if this thing's really going to bless me. You know, if I pay my tithe and I give an offering, that's a good thing. And yes, then God's going to bless me. I'm going to prosper. It looks good, but that thing is going to make you poor. And produce all manner of sin in your life. There's many sins that will come into your life because of that, like, let's say, tithing, for instance. You're gonna, the first thing that's going to happen, you're going to become a liar. <laughs> oh man let me tell you this I, I've got some businessmen as friends they don't know what 10% of their income is they don't know man in this ministry I don't even know what 10% is it, it, money comes and goes thank you Jesus because the first thing you'll do is say well I tithe ok what was your exact tithe was that exactly a tithe how do you know you know, no, but, you know, I, I just do it to the best of my ability. All of a sudden, money, then you're, not, you're already breaking the law. So just leave it. You, you'll become a, a liar. You'll, you'll, uh, uh, it's like the one businessman said to me, he says, Bertie, you know, he would, give, it, it's a, <laughs> he would give a very small amount of money. He said, you know, I, according to my books, I'm not even showing a profit. So I'm actually living far above a tenth. I'm not even showing a profit. So, because most businesses don't show a profit, because you don't want to pay tax. So, man, it just will bring forth all manner of sin and things that's not good in your life. So, get away from it. Just say, my God, thank you that you live in me and that I can just prosper by just living this holy life because you in me. I am blessed because you in me. I'm blessed because of your nature in me. I don't even think or try to think to get become part of any of these systems that's going to kill us. Right, let's continue. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it, by the commandment, slew me. So sin takes the law as a knife and cuts your throat. That's what he says there. Uses the word slew. says, For sin taking occasion by the commandment what commandment? He, used, he was talking about the tenth commandment here, which is you shall not lust. Okay? So, he's saying here, for sin taking occasion by the commandment, it was the law, the tenth commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. So the law was good, but sin is very evil, and it will use that good thing to kill you. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Was in that which was good made death unto me, God forbid, the, the law is still not the thing that brings the death to you. It is the sin that uses the law. And you'll be enslaved to that sin. You'll be enslaved unto death. You'll be enslaved unto going backwards. So, I'm not going away from the law because I say the law is bad. Sin inside me is bad. That's why I don't want to be there. That's just the way it is. For sin taking, it's like an alcoholic. If he stopped to drink, but he's still an alcoholic, he should not have one sip, because that will get that thing going in him again. Alcohol is not bad, but it, once he partakes of alcohol, the bad that's in him comes forth, and the bad that's in him is, is a lack of self-control. So, it's not uh, uh, alcohol that's bad, 
he, he's got no self-control when it comes to that. But he's got great self-control when there's no alcohol. But when he drinks alcohol, self-control just, uh, just, he just goes out the window and he's got nothing of that and he goes, goes mad, just drinking too much. That's, what he, that's a good example for this. What then? Was that which, uh, what then? That which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me, by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So he says, no, that law, the good that we can see in the law, even when it's like that, is that we can see the sinfulness of sin. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. And that which I do, I... Sorry, for what I do, for what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Man, that's a powerful scripture. Paul said, I am not the one that sins when I'm under the law. He's talking about, what he was talking about here was a saved man that got under sin, uh, into the law. He said that, and the way it works, he says, I, wa- I didn't want to do good. That means I'm a good man. But it's not I that sin, but sin that's in me that sins. So, when I can get the sin that's in me that sins, it's not I that sin, to become dormant, then I will live. Then God in me will live. So, I want to tell you, don't get under the law. You see the operation of the law here. It's a good thing because... By this, by the law, you can see your sinfulness. You can see your weakness. So then you can say, let me not be under the law, for I'm too weak. Let God then live in me. Amen. <clears throat> for if, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law. Now, this is a new law that Paul talks about there. Listen to the new law. That when I would do good, evil is present with me. So Paul was saying this. Listen, there's another law that he discovered and this is another principle. When you're under the law, evil wants to be with you. That's the new law. Uh, that, uh, or another law that Paul talked about. He says, when you're under the law that says you must do this to be blessed, there's another law that works in your members and this is the law that evil will be present with you and you will struggle. Amen. Well, we've run out of time and... Um, this is just such a powerful message. I'm blessed by this. This is the good news. It gives me power when I read this and hear this and hear this message to get more into the grace of God and to trust more in the finished work of Jesus. It produces faith because we see what Jesus Christ has done. Amen. Well, thank you that you've slotted in and I believe that you have just enjoyed this and um, I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to play out with a song and just listen to this song. It's a beautiful song about God's love for you. Father, I thank you for every person that has listened. I thank you, my God. They will slot into the, um, to the, uh, um, the web meeting that we have on Wednesdays if it's possible for them. I thank you, my God, that this word will just bear fruit in their lives. And everybody that has not received you as Savior, they can go right now and just receive you as their Savior and not 
themselves as the Savior by their own works. Thank you for that, my God. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.